Hello and welcome to Publishing, a monthly podcast series as part of the AS21 Podcast Network, where we explore the writing, editing, and publishing process of the fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. I'm your host, Keith F. Shovlin, publisher and chief creative of AS21 Publishing, and here as always is... Hello everyone, this is Paul Dickinson Russell, the author of The Will of the Magi. I hope you're all doing well and thank you again for joining us. This is the May 2016 edition of the Publish Me podcast, Chapter 14, Crowdfunding Your Writing or Work. And we will have on today our guest novelist, Carolyn O'Neill. Now, but first, before we get into that, it's time for an update from Paul. Paul, I want to hear some good news. Is the writer's block gone? The writer's block is finally gone. Woohoo! I'm very happy to announce that. Um, for those of you who, you know, are also fellow writers and creatives and who deal with other characters, you all, all probably understand the issue of dealing with your characters inside your own head and talking with them and listening to them. My writer's block was definitely a part of me not listening to my own characters. The way I was taking the story, they did not like in any way. And so they stopped it, you know, very effectively, I might add. So I have retreated a little bit, you know, redrawn the battle lines, and me and the characters are now definitely fighting on the same side once again. You know, a few minor changes to my storyline, um, a couple things were taken out, a couple new things were put in for the storyline. One of the major things that I'm going to let everyone know is that um, I've been announcing that my thought process on how long the book would be would be, you know, somewhere between the range of 300,000 and 350,000 words. <laughs> Yeah, I realize that's a very big book. You know, I, I it's a door stopper or a car breaker, either way you want to put that. But I'm thinking that the book will probably be more likely wrapped up around 260, 270 thousand words, which I'm a lot closer to. Yay! So, woohoo! Yay! Good things. Yes. Um, <laughs> the book will be finished. Yes. And so I would like you know, for those of you when you listen to this next, you know, in a couple of days. Send good vibes so I can write those final, you know, those final words and get this accomplished. You know, today I got some writing done, although I've been sick. Sick, foggy head does not do well for me in writing. So thank you all for your support and, you know, continued good vibes. <laughs> and as always, if you do want to get in contact with us or Paul, you can tweet to us at Publish Podcast. Find us Facebook.com slash Publish Podcast. Email us Publish Podcast at AS21.com. Or you can send us messages directly at our website, media.as21.com. Just some quick news updates since last month. Google Play has decided it's going to start hosting podcasts. So if you are an, an Android user and you want to listen to the podcast, you can now do that through Google Play. We're on there as well as all of the other podcasts of the AS21 Podcast Network. Of which, since we last spoke, there is another podcast now. On May 1st, we launched the world's only podcast. Tongue firmly in cheek on that title. Uh, it is a monthly commentary podcast on the news featuring AS21 creative Ian Roberts, who was our guest several months back for talking about story management, and AS21 IT consultant Joshua Silberman. Each month, they're going to be sitting down and looking over the top news and political and sports stories of the month and giving their own unique commentary. So be sure to check that out. It's also hosted on Podomatic, and you'll be able to find that on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and at media.as21.com. That's the world's only podcast. And that joins our additional podcast offerings 
rankings in the monthly category and of course our weekly podcast that I host, the Literally This Week podcast, which actually took a small break this week because I wasn't feeling well Sunday night and just wasn't feeling up to recording. This podcast is going out on Saturday, May 7th, as is our custom. Sunday, May 8th is AS21's second birthday. Yay! The second anniversary of us officially receiving our official confirmation of our registration with the Commonwealth of Virginia as a limited liability corporation. So our official birthday, as it will, in the eyes of the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So Sunday, May 8th. If you're listening to this podcast on the day it came out or the day after, you still have an opportunity. We're going to have a live webcast on Sunday night to announce all of our how we're celebrating our birthday. Typically, we have uh, not only a review of the past year, but also we'll have new announcements of new books and new opportunities in the year ahead. So be sure to check that out. We'll have links to it on our website and, of course, all across social media. So be sure to check that out. All right, so without further ado, let's move on to the discussion. The real meat of today's podcast will be talking about crowdfunding your novel or other written project. AS21, two years ago, originally started with a Kickstarter campaign. And as part of us doing a Kickstarter campaign, we also reached out to other Kickstarter campaigns out there to give our support, although minimally considering you know, how much we were asking versus how much we could give out. And in that process, we found a wonderful friend in novelist Carolyn O'Neill from Charlottesville, Virginia. So Carolyn at the time was doing a first crowdfunding campaign, editing Kingsley, which is a echo, eco, ecological. ecological fiction novel that she is working on at the time. Now her pro- her first project was unsuccessful, but she launched a second project the following year, which wrapped up actually on April 30th. So this is just coming off to the one-year anniversary of her successful Kickstarter campaign. So we're going to be talking to Carolyn about that. So Carolyn O'Neill is a passionate environmentalist and a daring storyteller. Her first novel, Kingsley, is a creative and intriguing eco-fiction. Her short story, Silent Grace, won second prize in the Hook's prestigious 2013 short story contest, judged by best-selling author John Grisham. Carolyn is a member of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and is active in the Oyster Shell Recycling Program. She's a founding member of BACCA Literary and Volunteer Coordinator at Writer House. She was born three blocks from the Chesapeake Bay in Norfolk, but now lives in Charlottesville. And she was a contributor to the 2015 AS21 Annual and even made it up on a Thursday night to do the live reading when we had the official launch of the annual this past October 1st at One More Page Books in Arlington, Virginia. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Keith. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. We tried to support you as uh, we couldn't support you much on your first Kickstarter campaign. You turned around and supported both Kickstarter campaigns that we've done. And, of course, we came back and helped you with your second campaign, which was obviously much, much more successful. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. That, that's the nice thing about Kickstarter, I think, that I really like is that if, if the campaign isn't successful, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay. You right. know, it's kind of uh, it's either wins or the contributor isn't out of anything. That's how that's the basic difference between Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. And a lot of authors, you know, they do crowdfunding on Indiegogo too, but that's a little bit, gives you a little bit more flexibility. 
Right. Now, in the past, we, we've primarily worked with Kickstarter, plus we worked with, there was a crowdfunding site specifically for authors that we worked with called PubSlush, and primarily using it as a pre-order campaign for several of our books. And in fact, we ran one for the children's book Pockets, and it funded 75% of the printing costs for that for the yeah. run of books. And unfortunately, PubSlush was wasn't doing too well. It didn't catch on as well as Kickstarter or some of the other crowdfunding sites. And it was going to be acquired by a Canadian company, but then that acquisition fell through. And instead, the Canadian company ended up launching their own separate author-only crowdfunding site. So, you know, interesting yeah. business ethical decision there. Sure. But from the beginning, from us launching this podcast, the idea was that we would build up an audience for, for Paul's book with the podcast. And then once he could finish writing it, we would run a crowdfunding campaign to cover the editing and cover design costs. So hopefully all these, all you wonderful people listening would be willing to give 5 or $10 to help cover the cost editing this 260,000 word fantasy yeah. epic. <laughs> yeah, well, much longer than what you had to deal with with Kingsley, right, Carolyn? Yeah, yeah. Mine was uh, only about you know, less than 90,000 words, but, you know, covers really matter. And so, you know, and I, I hired a graphic artist and, and we went back and forth quite a bit on, on just getting that right tone of the cover, um, having, cause it's, um, eco fiction, but it's also speculative fiction and that it goes into the future. And I actually was just at, uh, RavenCon last weekend, which is a sci-fi, um, convention selling Kingsley and, so it, it has a wide audience. So trying to hit that balance with a wide audience. Right. You know, that's uh, It's worth hiring a graphic artist and they don't come cheap. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the good thing about crowdfunding. Well, we got a couple of designers here at Ace 21 that are just champing at the bit, ready to work with Paul on the cover like of his that. book. So <laughs> including uh, Rebecca, who Rebecca Head, who did the Magnus and the Maiden cover. I'm sure she wants first dibs on it, but we'll. Well, let Paul make the decision since it is his book. <laughs> so, uh, Carolyn, just can you talk about your experience when you were first setting up your first campaign? Now, you've only done the two campaigns? The, the... No, I've only done the two. The first one was actually, I, I'm one of those people, I like to know what's going on before I splash into it too much. And so I didn't know that much about Kickstarter. I didn't know if it was really legit. And so I actually, you know, didn't entirely expect my editing Kingsley first Kickstarter campaign to work. I even told family, don't even bother contributing because I really mostly wanted to make sure that I understood how it worked before I went full bore with the quote unquote real campaign, which was my second campaign. And with my second campaign, I realized that, um, I, uh, no, I'm, I'm good at a lot of things. I, I think I'm a very good writer, but marketing is not my specialty. So I hired um, a woman named Bethany Carlson, who is a local Charlottesville woman, and she has a company called The Artist Partner. I highly recommend her, and she really helped me step through the uh, the process of, of crowdfunding this in terms of um, creating a timeline because you need to start the crowdfunding like six months or so before you're actually going to publish um, because there's a, there's a whole lot of work to do. And even before the crowdfunding started, we worked together for several months um, 
you know, I took people out to lunch. <laughs> I, uh, you know, would contact, you know, everybody I knew by email, just sort of um, making a list of contacts so that when the uh, my Kickstarter campaign actually started, I wasn't just saying, you know, going blind with anybody. I had already made a contact with people and had already explained what Kickstarter was that how you, um, you know, pay for it, you know, you, you, cause you're giving your credit card to something when you do Kickstarter. And so you want to, you want to be able to explain people how it works. And so, um, that is, I think, one of the reasons that my second campaign was, was much more successful. It was really well planned. I even had a, um, a, a video shot, a trailer, a book trailer that, um, was uh, me talking to the camera about why I wrote this book, and that I, I and so that was up on the web when I started the Kickstarter campaign, so that people had a very good sense of why I'm writing Kingsley of of the basic, you know, very basic storyline, and um, so uh, I think the main thing with Kickstarter is to to prepare. Don't just you know one day think, oh, you know, I think I'll. I'll, I'll have a Kickstarter campaign. You, you have to do some legwork before you launch if you want it to be successful. And I ended up um, getting $5,000 from Kickstarter, which wasn't too bad, and that paid for editing. I edited Kingsley twice. I edited once for content and then again with a separate editor for line editing. So, very good. I, you know, I, I feel like, uh, and, and it's, and it's doing well, you know, it's, it's on Amazon and it, it has a lot of positive reviews. And so I, I think that the buzz is growing with Kingsley. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Oh, and I want to add, add this, this month's episode of the Publishing Podcast is brought to you by Kingsley, a novel by Carolyn O'Neill. <laughs> right. That's right. Available on Amazon. Yes. And in, uh, in paperback, ebook, and audio at audible.com too. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. There you go. That was a lot of fun. Uh, also, I just want to say making an audio book via Audible for Paul was a whole lot of fun. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that process. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> well, with us, uh, and I've been, I've been saying for a while now, we've been building up our podcasting not only as help spread the word about our books and our pro authors here at AS21, but also so that we can build up our audio equipment so that we can move into doing audio books. Yeah. It, it really helps. There's a lot of people who just don't have the time to sit and read, but they, you know, they travel a lot or whatever, and they love to listen to books. So I definitely suggest um, going audio. I found the whole Kickstarter process. Uh, also, one thing Bethany said, and I think this is something for your listeners to know, is that Launching a book is um, un it's unlike anything you're else you're going to do in some ways because you're really exposing yourself to the world. They're going to see your heart and soul. Well, well, if you if you run a Kickstarter campaign, you're you're opening that door a little bit before you actually launch the book. It gives you a sense of what it's going to be like to have people, you know, asking you these questions. What's your book about? And, you know, and and because it's it, you know giving you money for your book, it, it's going to give you that feel what it's like before you're actually launching. Right. So I think it's a good practice run. 
Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it, it's building your audience before the book is finished. A lot of the books out there have, they're fortunate to have like either a celebrity, yeah. <laughs> celebrity <laughs> author or someone who has already has a proven track record. I mean, you know, if you see Stephen King's got a book coming out in six months, you're going to be anxiously waiting for it. But, and if he, if he dared to have to ask you for crowdfunding, I'm sure he would more than get the money. Yeah. <laughs> But I, you know, what happens? Uh, what happened with um, Anne Rice's book, uh, Prince Lestat? Mm. I mean, that one was sold out before it was released. Yeah, they were discussing that one. I mean, she didn't have to crowdfund it, but I mean, they did. There were some discussions about how people weren't getting the books that they ordered on time because so many were ordered. Well, I my son was Harry Potter's age during you know. <laughs> the reign of Harry Potter, and I went to many, many Harry Potter parties where the lines were around the block. So, right. <laughs> so I did that. Well, one thing that's... That's our goal, right, is to be there. Right. <laughs> well, one thing that's both... Well, I guess it's the double-edged sword of doing the crowdfunding is you weren't working with a publisher. Right. So it was entirely on yourself to not only get the printing done, but also then to do send out the copies and follow up on the Kickstarter campaign for the crowdfunding. Exactly. You have to, if, you know, whatever the reward you give, you, you have to do it. And I really tried to make my rewards uh, logical for my book. I was writing an environmental fiction, so it didn't make any sense for me to send people a bunch of junk, you know, that, that would have been um, bad for the environment. It made sense for me to do something that was more environmentally sound. And so either I would um, send people the book or um, a lot of times I would, you know, take them out to lunch or something like this that um, didn't have, you know, something, you know, take them or, or, or I uh, feed them lunch or something that, that um, didn't, didn't generate a lot of waste for the environment. You know, I have, yeah, you have to do what the readers of this genre will will be be a logical reward you know you wouldn't you know give maybe a, a sword to somebody who was crowdfunding a romance novel or something like this or you know i think that um the the rewards these do need to be sort of logical right. i think that that's really a nice little touch yeah just for background for our listeners your original kickstarter campaign only had four rewards uh ten dollars for or more for a personal phone call of appreciation, $25 for invitation to a launch party, $100 for a copy, signed copy, or $500 for your name in the acknowledgments. Yeah, and I learned that that was a really bad list of rewards. Right. I that very quickly. <laughs> well, the second time around, you had 10 rewards. The first one being a $5 reward for major gratitude, and acknowledgement on the author's website. So acknowledgement went from being $500 to being $5. <laughs> that is a major depreciation of a, the value of that acknowledgement, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, it, it's funny. Nobody actually ever uh, signed up for the $5 reward. Everybody signed up for the higher you know, reward. Hey, that, that's, that's fantastic. And then, then, of course, $8 for a digital copy. $10 for the pre-release uh, digital and print advanced reading copy. $18 for, is this the, oh, that's the print copy when available. $28 is the personalized signed copy. 
Let's see, $35. Don't chuck that shuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an invitation for th people to come along and help you shuck oysters <laughs> on, in the Chesapeake. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an environmental um, program with the uh, Virginia oh, Shell Recycling Program, so okay. I inviting people to go with me to do this environmental thing, you know, not actually chucking the oysters, oh, but okay. oyster shells. So, but again, you know, that's, that's my audience, the right. environmentalists and, and sci-fi. Those are kind of my two audiences. And then we got $40 for two copies of Kingsley, each with a personalized note from the author, $100 for the producer brunch. Yeah. But yeah, you had eight backers at that level. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then $150 for idea to publication consultation. And then $500 for an executive producer workout with the writer. Yeah. And that, I got two backers on that. So that was pretty nice. Nobody wanted the consultation, which was just fine. Yeah. And I had, um, I had a lovely time at the brunch because I just, you know, I served a lot of food to a lot of my friends. So that was just a, a lot of fun. And the advanced reader copies, one thing with Kickstarter, it, it doesn't make any sense to give, you know, a whole bunch of books for $10 when they cost me, when they're supposed to cost $15.99. So you can limit the number, you know. I, I think I limited the number to 10 or so of the people who could, you know, contribute and get an advanced reader copy. Yeah, it says here it was limited to nine, and, and they're all gone on that one. So yeah. That didn't yeah. And the good thing, of course, is that people get, the book before it actually launches, you can you can have reviews on Amazon and Goodreads before it actually hits the stores or hits you know Amazon, because um, as many of your listeners probably know, Amazon has this sort of sliding scale that if you can get so many reviews, they'll give you so much publicity, and if you get more reviews, you know positive reviews, they'll give you more. But one thing Amazon is real picky about is you can't have two reviews from the same email. So, you know, tell your friends, don't, don't try to just double because they will slash any, you know, cause I had like my brother and sister-in-law reviewing with the same email and they just slashed one of them. So, Ooh. but yeah, they, they just don't want, they just want, they don't want any bogus, what they're considered to be bogus reviews, which I really appreciate. Well, that's understandable. I mean, they, one of their the key to their business model is that they expect there to be honest reviews on the site. So, yeah, they're not a big fan when people write a bunch of bogus reviews for something. But you know, there are some products that just deserve bonus reviews out there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. But um, again, I think that the main thing is that you want to when the book actually launches, you want to hit the ground running and and have air, all every. You know, I dotted every two cross and go. And I had a um, pretty spectacular book launch on um, November 8th of last year at a, at a local bookstore and had, I don't know, I don't know, 50 or maybe 100 people there or something. It was well, really great. fantastic, Karen. We had wine and food and just a, it was a, just a great, great event. So, but, but I had had, you know, as they just said, this is, this is a one-year anniversary of my Kickstarter successful campaign. So it ended in May. My book launched in November. So that gave all that time for me to constantly update all my backers and tell them, please tell your friends. 
So you have, you know, a hundred backers or whatever. They've got a hundred friends. Pretty soon you're, you're, you're reaching a whole lot of people. And I, I kept in contact with my backers for a whole year afterwards too. And I gave them, for instance, I gave some of them, um, a, a free version of the audio book when it came out and things like this, the higher backers and such. Experience. All right, so I've been dominating the question so far. I'm going to let Paul ask a few here. <laughs> so, you know, the one thing I'm really amused by with your um, campaigns, Carolyn, is the, again, the wonderful change, I'm going to say, between your first one and your second one. I've used Kickstarter a couple times myself as a backer, never as a actual, you know, Kickstarter creator, whatever we want to call, you know, you wonderful people. I think and the, the official word is creator. Creator. Oh, great. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. And so, you know, I've had, I've, I've been able to, you know, I've been doing that for about four or five years now. And I will say, not all the ones I've backed have been successful. And I, I have had at least one right now that looks like the creator skedaddled with our money which you know oh, no. yeah but luckily you know the one thing that i'm the one thing i'm i want to say is that i think that what you said about the what your layout was for the additional uh rewards and all that uh for your second fundraiser was phenomenal because that's one of the things as a backer that i actually look for in these campaigns in that you know i look for you know decent rewards and that you know i'm you know what am i giving my money for and those kind of things you know most of the things i back are again you know i back a lot of books and that's one of those is the one that ran off on me but one of the other books i backed was phenomenal in that they gave recipes yeah yeah you know they gave a lot of food recipes to the readers you know in the book itself which was fun so my question would be what kind of limit do you set for yourself when it comes to the effort you're going to put in to reward your backers. And what I mean by that is you gave out free cop, free, free digital copies of the book. You gave out, you know, acknowledgements, physical copies of the books and those kind of wonderful things. What would be, what's your peak? Do you think in terms of what you're going to reward your backers with? Well, the more personalized service that, that to me, um, is the highest reward, you know, because that's, um, they're getting to know the author. You know, they, they can talk about the book with me one to one. Uh, a couple people, like the very highest reward people I took out to lunch and I actually took one of them and their daughter out to lunch too because I had enough, um, <laughs> she had given me quite a bit of money. So yeah. <laughs> that was the least I can do. So I think that that's one thing is, is the more personalized rewards need, need to be at the highest level. And I, you know, and that's only fair. They're, they're, cause one thing, probably the highest backers are going to be people that really know very well. They're not going to be the people who are, you know, strangers or something. It, and, and then the backers who are strangers, you need to be able to do things that they feel comfortable with. You know, they're going to give you your, their address if you mail them a copy of the book giving a stranger their address they they need to feel really comfortable with it this is one reason i wanted to do kickstarter myself before i you know put on my real campaign for kingsley 
And again, I have to shout out um, the lady I consulted with for my successful campaign, Bethany Carlson here in Charlottesville, the artist partner, because, you know, I, I, I'm very, um, I have a great imagination. You know, I can make up a story just like this with anything. But business, that is not my hat. You know, marketing is not my hat. Those are, those are different skills. And Bethany has those, has those skills. They're great. But, and many artists, those are two very different skills. And one thing about a lot of writers, and this is something I think that should be brought home, many writers are introverts. Mm-hmm. And, and reaching out to people and asking them for money is hard enough if you're an extrovert. But writers, we write because we like to be alone with, you know, with our notepad, with our computer. You know, this isn't a group experience. We are, you know, writing. We're used to being alone for hours and hours. And so getting a coach or somebody who understands the business side and can kind of hold your hand through it um, and tell you, because it's, it's very tempting to quit. You know, it's embarrassing, you know, to ask people for money when you're not you're not in the business world. You know, it's very uncomfortable. And so I think finding, you know, a coach of some sort, you know, to help you through will make it much more successful. And if you look at most Kickstarter campaigns, they are not successful. Mm-hmm. And especially yep. for books, because there's, there's so many for books. Yeah, I think the stat, they, they will even be honest with it, and they put it out there, that's about 50-50 chance of success. There's a lot of people who just throw something up there and let, let's see what happens and, uh, you know, nothing. And then you have the guy who put up, what was it, potato salad? Yep. $10 Kickstarter for potato salad and he made thousands. Well, it's, you know, that's some of the stuff I've, I've looked into and I follow Kickstarter. You have that guy. I think he raised well over 50 grand on a $10 Kickstarter and then spawned others who, you know, none of them did as well as he did. Then you have, you know, like fifty five thousand four hundred and ninety two dollars. Jesus. Well, how much potato salad did he have to make? I mean, you know, did he actually have to make the potato salad? Yes, he had to make potato salad for Next. all those people. Yep. Well, <laughs> you know, too much success there. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to talk about too much success, you know, we can talk about the current, you know, king of Kickstarters being the card game exploding kittens. Oh, oh yes, that one raised I think just over or just under nine million dollars in a month. They broke a hundred grand after a first hour, and it just spiraled out of there. And the product is still massively successful on Amazon. Months later, you know they had the highest amount of money raised by the most number of backers in Kickstarter history up until that point. I don't think it's been broken yet. I'm not exactly sure. I will admit I did not back that one. I thought about it. <laughs> But I was poor. <laughs> uh, I, I stayed away from that one too. But we did back Reading Rainbow. Yes, okay. Reading by Rainbow was fantastic. Yeah, that one needs to be backed. No, now of course, like I said uh, when we started the discussion, there are a lot of crowdfunding sites out there. There's Indiegogo. There's GoFundMe. There's there's ones different iterations for different industries, and I think there's three or four competing just for authors right now. But we're sticking with Kickstarter because it is pretty much. The, the big daddy ruler of crowdfunding right now. So just some stats. Kickstarter itself has a report done by researchers at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania 
found 9% of Kickstarter projects failed to deliver rewards. 8% of dollars went pledged went to failed projects. 7% of backers failed to receive their chosen reward. And 65% of backers agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that the reward was delivered on time. Failure rates are consistent across categories. Projects that raise less than $1,000 fail the most often. <laughs> so we have to raise a lot of money. Well, no, it's typically if you're asking for a lot of money you and you're doing a Kickstarter, you're, you have a plan. Right. And you're actually, I mean, you got to spend money to make money, as they say. And so you're willing to put money into it. And then you're a bit, most likely going to be successful. I mean, not everybody's doing $10 potato salad. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I'm sure your listeners know that if you have a Kickstarter campaign for, you know, $10,000, you are not going to get $10,000 in your pocket. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Amazon takes some too, because it's, you know, the payments go through Amazon. They're the ones right. who process the credit card. And so, you know, if you want to have $10,000 in your pocket, you got to figure that up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you got to remember, you're paying Kickstarter to use their system, and that's what that was, what, 5% of your total exactly. amount. And yep. then Amazon, depending on the number of people who charge credit cards, and usually it's that's most of your pledges, that's going to be at least 2% of your income. So you may, if you budget it perfect to a T that you need $9,837 to make your dream reality ask for 10,000 yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and then hope you get 11 <laughs> yeah you know it will let you go over it's not like it's going to yeah. shut down at 10,000 you can definitely go over they're right. very happy for that but yeah don't ask never ask for the bare minimum because if you just make it you'll end up realizing that you're short once they take out all of that and plus some people don't follow through on their pledges that's yep. right. And as I, you know, am an example of, if the first one doesn't succeed, we welcome you back, you know. So it's, it's not like, yep. you know, you're one and done. You, you're, you can come back and try it again. I'm just looking through some of these. Uh, BuzzFeed has a list of the 37 saddest failed Kickstarters. And there's a lot of ones that are $0. Yep. $75,000 for a film and video project in Indiana to capture hilarious movie reactions. Zero dollars raised. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I think people just throw things up on Kickstarter. It's just a big waste of time. They know they yeah. never get it. That's just nonsense, you know. And so, so you know, one thing I do hope that your you know listeners will know is that self-published books need to be serious, high-quality books, just like traditionally published books, because it's it's you know people just throwing it out on the web that gives self-published books a, a bad reputation. Right. And you know one thing good about Kickstarter is, like I say, what I did, hiring a couple of of editors, hiring a professional graphic artist, and I had you know probably hundreds of people read my book uh, <laughs> before it ever even come out came out just to give me you know yes, I believe this, no, I don't believe this, you know, little tweaking this, that, and other thing. I mean, even just little little things that um, I, I have, for instance, some scenes in the hospital. So I went to doctors and nurses. Is this realistic? Yes, this is realistic. So, you know, I, I don't want, you know, when you're, when you're reading, you don't want to lose the world you're in because of, oh, well, 
got wrong, you know. Yeah, you know, some some little thing. You you immerse yourself. Reading is such a joy because you immerse yourself in it. You you know, you don't want to lose that. Trying to remember, there was a Kickstarter campaign a couple years ago. Oh yes, I found it. The story here on Mashable. A comic artist in Chicago raised over fifty thousand dollars on Kickstarter to publish and ship hardbound books. And then once he figured out, once he produced the book with all of the copies, he realized it would cost him, he didn't accurately put in the amount it would cost to ship them. And so he ended up taking all the copies of his book out into an alley behind his apartment building and torching them. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's awful. Yeah, you have, shipping is expensive, you know, so you need to be aware of that. That's the really nice thing about having people, your backers, being in your same town. You can just hand it to them. <laughs> well, that and plus there is a set in Kickstarter. When you set up your rewards, you could put in there, you know, pay with how much it costs to ship. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's going overseas. Oh, yes. Exactly. I, I do want to mention, if I can put a little plug in, that I will Please. be in Winchester, Virginia on, on Saturday the 7th. I think that might be... That's the day the podcast comes out. So if you're listening to this, when it hits the airwaves on Saturday, uh, May 7th, get your butt to Winchester. Winchester, Virginia. I'll be at the Winchester Book Gallery signing books. And uh, it's a, you know, Kingsley has... A very sympathetic main character, lots of strong women. It's a great Mother's Day present. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Which is why I'm here on May 7th, because the next day, May 8th, is Mother's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you have a mother, if your mom likes to read and, and likes um, stories with strong women and lots of action and, <laughs> and deep themes, please come to Winchester or just go to Amazon right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. All right, now... Uh, we've pretty much covered. Is there any last words of wisdom you want to give, Carolyn? Well, don't give up. I think that's the, the main thing. Just, you know, remember there's a, I don't know if it's true or still just theoretical that it takes a thousand hours to be good at anything. Mm -hmm. and, and that is certainly true with writing. And, um, you know, and not everybody's going to like your book. And, you know, you, you need to have a little bit of a thick skin because that's just the way that it, it is. And but don't give up because, I mean, it, it, I have enjoyed the process so much. I, I like I say, I went to RavenCon in Williamsburg, Virginia, this great sci-fi convention. And I was talking my book there and I met the most fabulous people there um, just last weekend. So, you know, you just you meet so many wonderful people. So just stick it. If you can, we're, we're heading to the Virginia Comic Con in Richmond in June. It'd be oh, great if we could see you there. That would be terrific, yes. Comic Con. And we went to the one that they had this past February and had a great time there with uh, James D. King, author of the sci-fi novella High First Contact. And we're, we're planning on going back this June, and we haven't lined up our creative just yet. But, yeah, we'll definitely be there. So if you can make it out, that'd be fantastic to catch up and say hi. I would love that. I mean, Richmond's only an hour away, and it's a great town. And mm -hmm. I will definitely look into that because I just absolutely love the, the you know, these conventions. The oh, best yeah. And the costumes and the, you know, oh. just the thing, the art type of artists that are there. It's just really quite an experience and quite different from the book fairs that we've been used to going to. So it, it, it is. And the people are so genuine. There's nobody better than sci-fi readers. I tell you, oh, sci-fi and fantasy, they have the best readers ever. So 
you know, honorable people. I, you know, I, you know, I could leave, I could leave my table, leave my books on the table. Nobody ever bothered anything. You know, it's just, if I had to run off to the bathroom or something like that, <laughs> it was just a terrific group of people. So. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, Paul, any last questions for Carolyn? No, you guys covered pretty much everything. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Paul. I didn't mean to shut you out. That's all good. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, again, as Carolyn said, you know, we writers and creative types, you know, we're introverts. You know, we <laughs> we duck down and hide when other people are around. And, I, and anyone who knows me knows that that's a very true statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, this just all goes to reiterate a statement I've been saying since we launched this endeavor that is AS21 two years ago. You have the idea, you have the story, but that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. That's right. You really shouldn't, I mean, not to say that your work isn't good enough to go out there on its own, but don't you want an editor to look over it? Don't you want the best quality cover art? And Don't you want to know that you have somebody supporting you? So whether that be working with a, a wonderful company such as AS21 or having a successful crowdfunding campaign like Carolyn has with Kickstarter, you know you have supporters. You know you have people that believe in you and believe in your story. Because that's the most important thing, is that story. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yep. Agree with that. Yep. All right, Carolyn O'Neill, thank you very much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, please pick up Kingsley, a novel now available on Amazon, uh, in print and ebook, and as an audiobook from audible.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Keith and Paul. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful meeting you and getting to talk with you, Carolyn. Good, good. All right, so that wraps us up this May 2016 edition of the Publish Me podcast, Chapter 14, Crowdfunding Your Novel or Writing Project. We'll be back next month in June, June 2016. How did it come to that already, Paul? <laughs> I, I, don't ask me. I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for next month, we'll be discussing multiple story arcs being able to balance uh, different flows of stories between multiple characters and keeping them all basically like plates spinning on sticks or balloons balancing in the air. So we'll be discussing that. Hmm? Juggling. Oh yes, juggling. That See, that that's the better example. Why didn't I just go straight to juggling? So we'll be discussing that next month. We will be at the Gaithersburg Book Festival on May 21st. We'll be there all day in beautiful Gaithersburg, Maryland. So if you come by the AS21 table, we will be there and you'll be, have a chance to contribute to the live recording. If we didn't have anybody who wanted to take part when we were at the Kensington Day of the Book this past month, uh, mainly because... Uh, Everyone just wanted to keep moving. There was so much to see. But, you know, stop on by our table at Gaithersburg and you can be a part of this podcast and talk about juggling multiple characters and their advancing storylines and just examples that you know of that you appreciated or even examples that you know of that were pretty awful and you just want to pounce on them as much as you can. <laughs> so feel free to get back to us and hopefully we'll have some significant progress out of Paul. So... Yay. Oh, you will. <laughs> you will. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so, so there's the key thing for out of, out of this podcast. Not only do you not have to go at it alone, that there should, you have people that are out there to support you, but also your characters are out to support you because they want their story told just as much as you want to tell it. So listen to your characters. And if you don't, they will make you suffer. 
All right. For AS21 Publishing, I am Keith F. Shufflin. Thank you for joining us once again. Everyone, this is Paul Dickinson Russell, author of The Will of the Magi. Thank you all so much. I hope you have a blast. Remember, where there are thoughts and ideas, there are stories. We'll see you next month. Copyright 2016, AS21 Publishing, LLC, all rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. What do you want your book to be?